Well, it's my pleasure to introduce to you our today's community voice speaker, Darby Calicut. Uh, if you don't know Darby, I, I kind of want to know what's wrong with you, but um, no, she, she, Darby is um, a bright light in our community. She's a dear friend. Uh, we go way back when Darby was a wee little middle schooler and I was her youth pastor. And so here she is today. Um, she is in, she logs in more ministry miles um, in her day-to-day -day work than probably all of us in here combined. She'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but she's just a, a wise and um, loving person. I think uh, if you will just uh, bless her and um, give her your, your full heart and attention this morning, I believe that she'll bless us with a great word. Thanks, Darby. Thanks, Gabe. <clears throat> Good morning. <laughs> um, this morning, I just kind of want to start with sharing with y'all a bit of my story. Um, earlier this morning, Gabe spilled the beans about my job. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a social worker and I work in hospice care. So, but I really want to start with how I became who I am today. And I attribute it to many good folks in my life. And if I'm being honest, it's always the Lord's will for my life and who he's put in my path. And in fact, I really truly and only just realized this. Um, the people in my life are instruments of the Lord and I'm very grateful for that. But anyways, I grew up at Fairhope United Methodist Church. Like Gabe said, he was my youth pastor, 12 year old Darby just be bopping on in uh, to his office, which is not really any different from what I do now. Um, but he knew me as the awkward middle schooler that I was and where we all start out to be just joining the youth group. Um, the reason I share any of that is to say that I have been heavily involved in the mission world of Fairhope United Methodist. Uh, this is where the Lord placed me on purpose uh, to do the work that I do today. Uh, maybe not specifically the hospice work, but really specifically the social work. A big part of who I am is based on a mission trip that I take down annually to Costa Rica. I started going when I was 15, so around 2012. I have since been down nine times, including this year. It's because of these trips and working with a local ministry called Amor and La Calle and its leaders that I truly learned to love and see people. The ministry leader, Sonia, is the biggest and truest inspiration for why I am the way that I am today. I had the greatest privilege of going back down to Costa Rica this May, um, and I want to share a story about Sonia really quick so you can grasp just minutely the great woman that she is. On the trip this year, we were able to go to a part of the capital city, San Jose, that we had not been able to go to in quite a few years. It's a slum area called Sagrada Familia, and it had become too dangerous for us to visit quite many years ago. You know, drugs, gangs, just that kind of thing in this kind of area. But this year, we were able to finally go back. And the work of the ministry brings Sonia and her team there weekly, which is just incredible to me. But the thing that Sonia wanted us to do, our team, what to do with her ministry workers was follow alongside and be part of their ministry as they went door to door and sharing Bible stories and ultimately the gospel. Now, sit in that with me. 
Can you imagine going door to door in Baldwin County or Mobile County and sharing the gospel? No, right? Is that what y'all are thinking? Because, yeah, that's how I felt. Like, that is super taboo in our American society today, right? But let me tell you, that day in San Jose, it was incredible. So many people opened their doors and allowed us to speak with them and their children. And after we had finished knocking on doors, the workers of the ministry had taken a tally of the number of folks that we had talked with, you know, during that time. I can't remember now, but I think the number of adults, kids, and teenagers we talked with was over 100. And as we were counting in Spanish and in English, Sonia doesn't speak a lick of English. She just cheeses. You know, like the biggest grin covers her face. And she lifts her eyes and her hands up to the Lord and says, Toda la gloria a Dios. All the glory to God. She had the giddiness of a child and gave all the praise to the Lord. All of this just struck me. I had the greatest pleasure of like, if she's right here, I was to her right. So I was right there able to see all of that. And I could picture her doing this in my mind and I'll remember that forever. This woman who does all of this incredible work does not do it for the glory or accolades for herself. She does it solely to glorify the Lord. What a role model for me to have, let me tell you. And so again, it's through these trips to Costa Rica, Sonia has taught me how to truly see and love and be with people. And in thinking about Costa Rica, it leads me to my belief that social work is truly just about seeing people. At least that's the calling and duty that I feel every day. All anyone wants in life is for someone close to them to see them, truly see them. And I know what that feels like, and I hope that those of you in here do as well. It reminds me so deeply of what Father Mark spoke about many months ago during Easter, that story in John when Jesus heals the blind man by being the only person in the synagogue to see him and his needs. Jesus literally gives of himself by spitting in his hand and then touching the man's eyes. When Father Mark preached that, it hit me in my soul. So I know all, some of you may be thinking, okay, that's all great. Where are you going with all of this? Well, that leads me to now. I want to focus on the Romans passage this morning. When Father Robert first mentioned or first informed me of the scriptures for my Community Voices Sunday, Romans just lit a fire in my heart. As I've said, I am a hospice social worker. I work with those who are dying. A few of you in this room have actually crossed paths with me in my capacity to care for you and your loved one as your hospice social worker, or you know someone who has or have been on this journey quite recently. It is all by the grace of the Lord that I get to walk alongside those whose journeys toward death may be swift or they may be long. But let's look at verses 19 and 20 right quick. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Creation waits with eager longing. If that doesn't just hit you in your soul, I don't know what will. 
we are all waiting with eager longing for the better things that will come with the Lord. I see and hear and talk about this every day with my patients and their loved ones. One specific woman who I visit twice a month comes to mind. At almost every visit, she tells me she doesn't know why she's still here and that she's ready for the Lord to call her home, to him and to her loved ones already there. But after saying this, every time she states, but I will wait for the Lord and his time. Maybe none of you have had to sit in that question, but I know that several of you can imagine or have firsthand experience from a loved one and can empathize with what that feels like. We all know that waiting is the literal worst. It's especially hard when your heart yearns and longs and desires something so tangible, yet you can't or don't get it. The folks that I visit with who are sick and dying are a product of this world that has been broken. But if anything, these scriptures in Romans tell us that more is yet to come. <clears throat> Just hear verse 21. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I don't know if you caught this from the reading, but the word wait is said three times throughout verses 18 through 25. We wait with eager longing, we wait eagerly, and we wait with patience. The, redemptions, the redemption of our bodies in verse 23 is the hope that we are clinging to and waiting for. Hope that Christ will one day make all things new and beautiful and whole again. That is what we patiently wait for. And I know for sure that is what my patients are hoping for. Now, I can't tell my patients how to correctly patiently wait. And I can't tell you how because I don't know how. That's a struggle for me every day. I'm 26 years old, single, and living in the Bible Belt. So just sit and stew in that for a second. My heart yearns for a life partner, and yet the Lord has not answered this prayer, and his answer may be different from the one I desire. The season of patiently waiting has been hard. But the question I'm asking you and myself is how do we wait patiently for the Lord? The social worker in me says to sit in the fact that it sucks. And that's okay. But as we see in Romans, there are far better things ahead than any that we leave behind. I think maybe the beauty of patiently waiting is perhaps just having the knowledge that in the midst of this suffering here on earth, whether you're sick or impoverished, or any other type of suffering, that renewal will be had. That is the promise of the gospel. Jesus defeated death and Satan. He physically rose from the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father. Renewal and wholeness will come when Jesus comes again. It seems like a long wait and is getting harder and harder. The Roman scriptures from today say in verse 22 that creation has been groaning together. The world groans, and not just the world, Paul writes, but we ourselves, 
We groan as we wait eagerly. This right here seems analogous to grief and joy often entertaining each other. Who doesn't groan as they wait for something to come that they know will be better? It's like climbing up a steep mountain, but then the view makes it all worth it. A few weeks ago, David Walton spoke and reminded me of God's faithfulness. What a beautiful thing to be reminded of in a season of waiting. A while back, I read a book on Christian hospitality, uh, which is a goal of, in mine of life. It is called A Place at the Table. In it, I was reminded that we do all things for the glory of God and try to remember his faithfulness in all things. The author writes, how then do we pray? Expectantly, I'm sure, not losing hope when the answer takes a while to come. I bring this up because maybe hospitality and waiting go hand in hand. Just like Romans 22 says, the whole creation waits. We are reminded that in community with other believers, we wait for the most precious things to come. And we wait together. The author of the book goes on to write about heaven and the new creation, that it will be emphatically embodied and fully physical. The picture painted in scripture portrays a restored and redeemed and not pulverized creation where God dwells among his people in unveiled glory. I don't know about y'all, but this is where my hope is held fast. The redemption of our souls, our body, our world. A reminder that life here on earth is hard, overwhelming, and can seem hopeless. But hold fast because the promise of the Lord is that all things will be made new, no matter the weight felt by us here on earth. The thought I leave with you today is that though our many sufferings are different, each hold redemption and wholeness. Let's sit and hold space with each other as we suffer and wait, to know we aren't alone, that others see us, but also to truly remember that the one who gave his life, Jesus, truly sees us and wipes our eyes for us to remind us of the hope that is to come. Amen.